Amen. So today we're going to talk about the fact that your Redeemer lives. Amen. Your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives. I was watching uh, <clears throat> some websites that I, I follow from time to time. And I see there's a move of God to prevent people from praying in public in the name of Jesus. Now we know this was tried when the early church was formed. Remember the New Testament church, Paul and Peter were threatened. They were thrown in jail and they were told not to preach in that name anymore. They thought they killed him. Uh, okay, Wall. Listen, wake up, Wall, because everybody else is asleep. If you don't talk to me, Wall, I will not have anything to say. I'm going to say it again. They were told not to preach or say anything in the name of Jesus because they thought they had killed him. They thought he was dead. People, when, when uh, people are hated and uh, they're disposed of, the enemies are always fearful of retaliation or something like that. And so they just wanted the name of Jesus removed from public life. They just wanted to get rid of every remembrance of him. However, he got up. Amen. He rose. Amen. And he's no longer dead. He's alive. Amen. He's the only God. I don't care who you call. You call Buddha. You call who? Uh, Muhammad. You call Krishna. Cornflake. I don't care who you call. But you will never get a reaction from any one of them because they're fictitious names and they're dead. They were never alive. He's the only one who will respond when you call him. That's why the devil don't like that name. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we know that, that that's because he's alive and he's got all power. And that name is feared in heaven, earth, and under the earth. There's no place you can go where that name is not feared. And so we have a redeemer in Jesus. And we're going to talk about the fact that he is alive. Your redeemer lives. And we'll talk about what a redeemer is and why do we need one. I'm going to give you some scripture references. Uh, you can write them down. <clears throat> And it's good to follow because then you can get an understanding of where we're going with this. I'll more than likely teach more from the book of Ruth. And I know all of y'all are, you know, the, the Boaz area. My Boaz. I ain't really met one yet. Just, I mean, other than Jesus. You understand what I'm Now, y'all can try to get your magic mic triple XX. I know what y'all be doing. Hey, look, magic mic be looking pretty good to me. I do my glass. Can't, I can't figure out which one to put on, which lens to. I said, but for your eyes only. See, if we Christian, you Christian women, you could have your magic mic, but for your eyes only. Okay? Got to have a ring on it first. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Don't show them to too many saints before, you know what I'm saying. Wait till you jump the broom before you go strutting him around bragging on him and stuff. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. Now that you're awake. You know it's a shame I have to go there to get y'all every time. But, I, you know, I go where I must. 
Amen. I go where I must. But in Job 19.25, <laughs> y'all ought to quit. Stop it. <laughs> Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer. That was the only thing he had to hold on to to get him out of that sick, sick bed and all of the tragedies that came to him. Why do you need a Redeemer? Because we'll talk about the, why the Redeemer, why, what the Redeemer came to do and, and who he is and why you need him. But when Job knew that his Redeemer was alive, that gave him the confidence to hang on for as long as it took for his healing to come, as long as it took for restoration to come. The fact that his Redeemer lived and he knew it, then he was able to hold on. And that's why we hold on. We know that our Redeemer lives, the one who has come to bring restoration of all things to us. Amen? He can do it all. There's nothing that your kinsman redeemer will not do for you. Isaiah 43:14 says, This is what the redeemer says, I have defeated all of your enemies. So in the book of uh, Isaiah especially, you see a lot of messages from the redeemer. There is the, many of those scriptures open up with this is what your redeemer says. So he was, it was known that Israel needed their Redeemer to speak certain things to them, to tell them certain promises, and to announce himself as their near kinsman and their Redeemer, because that place held a specific type of promise for people. There was something about that person that they knew when that person came, everything was going to be all right. Amen. It was all going to work out fine. Isaiah 44, 6. The Redeemer says, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. The Redeemer and God are one and the same. Isaiah 48:17. This is what the Redeemer says. He says, I teach you what's best for you. So the Redeemer comes as one who is able to govern and guide your life, to keep you from error, to keep you from disappointment and failure. He's able to instruct you and guide you and lead you in the right way to go. And we need it. Many times we think we're capable, but were it not for the mercy of God, and were it not for the heavenly hosts that are at God's command to minister to us in the things that we need in life, we'd be terribly lost, folks. There's times when you can go out of your house, and, and uh, I give this example all the time. How many times have you tried to get out the front door or tried to get through the garage and couldn't find your keys or kept going back and something missed something? And then you get down to the corner of the street, and there's two cars that are, that was for you. See, that was intended for you. Well, I'm going to say it again because we got a lot of unbelief running around, but that was intended for you. You think the devil really don't want to kill you? Huh? And it's not bragging. It's, I mean, there's nothing you can you can boast about in yourself. You carry. You're marked with deity. You're born again. You are marked with deity. And that's is like when you go out the house, you got the biggest target on your back. Huh? And the angels deflecting all the time. You know, hey, Wonder Woman, <laughs> whatever you need. But if we didn't have that, I mean, come on now. Let's get real with it. 
you don't walk in fear of that and you don't walk in a consciousness and awareness of it thank god he doesn't make you thank god you can't see what's going on in the invisible realm it would shock most of us Uh so you're protected even from the knowledge and the fear of it from the awareness of it by your kinsman redeemer because he lives you have full protection so he guides us and leads us teaches us the right thing to do he's our groom like groomer amen the groom is supposed to groom the bride teach her how to walk in the the her new identity in the family inheritance all of those things and so we need somebody you know to keep keep your elbows off the dinner table you know what i'm saying that, you know if a brother really care about you well i'm not gonna stop i'm not i'm not gonna take another step closer that crowd looked like they might hurt somebody say the wrong thing or see when that was magic mike and xxl everybody was into that now we talking about manners and grooming and all that guy everybody got nervous he'll even love your turquoise hair your flame red hair your mohawk and all he love all of that all right god knows who to send all right, Isaiah 63:16. In the last scripture, I want you to equate that with uh, uh, the Lord being our shepherd. Psalm 23 comes out of that identity where your kinsman redeemer teaches you what's best for you and directs your life. Okay, Isaiah 63:16. Our Father and Redeemer are of old. So your Redeemer is not new to the game. You understand what I'm saying? He was with the Father from of old. That's important because he is aware of what God has called you to be. He knows all your giftings, your abilities, all your sensitivities. He knows everything about you. Everything about you. And he cares. Amen. He's not trying to find out stuff about you to just be suspicious he cares about you does it in a loving manner he's known about you from of old isaiah 59:20 he says he will come to those who repent of their sins he comes to the humble no not to the boaster or i know god got god got something good for me yeah you just be good okay it's that you focus on what's important not on getting something good but you some some of us don't know good why when we see it because we don't have much of it in us isaiah 59 20 oh we did that come to those who repent of their sins humble unassertive unassuming Isaiah 54:5 Your maker is your husband. Amen. Husbands tend to be able to mold wives. Amen. Because they have the authority of God. God wants to mold you, they will mold you as well. Trust me, they do it. <laughs> then brothers, you tell them to do something, they stand there and look at you for 15 years and don't do it. You, you get molded. You know I mean? I didn't mean to say that. I'm just, <laughs> just tell me what to do. I got that on right. Got the shoe on the right foot now. Okay. So your maker being your husband, you will become one with him. Amen. Forever. Isaiah 47.4. 
Our Redeemer is the Lord God Almighty, the Holy One of Israel. Your Redeemer is holy. That means he's going to elevate the bar in your life. But he'll be there with you, helping you attain to what he wants you to attain to. He doesn't set the bar too high that you can't do it. He does it through you. Amen. All you have to do is be cool, don't get stupid, go along for the ride. Don't have no fits of nothing on nobody. Wow. No low estrogen, high estrogen. Yeah. Yeah. We don't go there. Okay. All right. Y'all know what I'm talking Amen. about. Amen. All right. Isaiah 44:24. Your Redeemer is your Creator. This is what He says: I formed you from the womb, so you are made to order for Him. He loves you exactly where you are. I don't care what you think is terribly wrong with you. We don't really believe that anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's something to say. Excuse for not shaping up. You know what I'm saying? But he doesn't want you to stay in, in a rough shape forever. You know what I'm saying? He won't be able to take you somewhere. With people, to see people who matter to him. You understand what I'm saying? but he loves you I mean he created you in love out of love for love to love and he loves you if you're not lovable to yourself you're lovable to somebody now so you might as well get on board and just learn how to love yourself the way God loves you you know and just hey this is me. What you see is what you get. Now, I may be a rough cut. We can do a little refining here and there. Not a whole lot because I want God to still recognize me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't jump through hoops for nobody. Huh? <laughs> but you do the things that, that love motivates you to do. We all know how to show love. It's that one thing you say you ain't going to never do for nobody. That's love. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all, see y'all trying to go to sleep on me again. It's the one thing you say you're never going to do for someone. Which you have reserved that you think is so precious you can't give to somebody that's love. Hmm? Amen? Because that's what God did for us. Huh? Well, I love him, but I ain't going that's going to be the first thing God tells you to do. And you ain't going to be satisfied or happy till you do it. Get it done. Get it over. See, it didn't kill me. It didn't hurt me. I'm still alive. Start doing more of it. Do it till it gets good to you. Huh? And you can say, that's my thing that I do for him, for my magic mic. He stay in the gym for me, and that's just what I do for him. You got me? Or whatever y'all do. Huh? It's up to y'all. Psalm 78:35 He is the rock. That's a great one. He stabilizes your life. You can lean on him, depend on him. He never bends or breaks. Amen. And I know y'all be trying, so don't even you know. Baby get me this. Baby let me do that. Baby do that. The, the, the your kinsman redeemer will never bend and break under your baby gets me. Huh? Huh? And you'll get under conviction to do more for him. 
It's usually how that works. Smile a little smile for me, Diane. You know you'd like that. <laughs> Sitting up there, her eye looked like that, rolled over on the rail. Oh my goodness, what did I say? <laughs> See, I've been a widow for 12 years. I had a very good marriage after God helped me to learn how to be a wife. And quit trying to, and I quit trying to get him to make my husband do what I wanted him to do. See, I got smart one day. I got smart one day. And see, my husband passed away 12 years ago. It'd be nice to have him back. So I hit this real hard with y'all because you don't have time to waste being goofy, stupid, prideful, arrogant, Jezebel, none of that. You don't have time to waste with that stuff. You do not have that kind of time. So you might as well get it in shape, get it in gear, let's get, keep it moving. As Pastor Shirley said, just keep it moving. Amen. So that's what your kinsman redeemer, what the word says, you can expect from a kinsman redeemer. And there's some scriptures here that talk about the obligations of the kinsman redeemer and defines it. A kinsman redeemer in Old Testament, uh, uh, in the Old Testament was a relative who restores or preserves the full community rights of disadvantaged family members. So you were already family. Amen. The, the fact that it's family takes, I think, a lot of fear out of it. That God wouldn't have a total stranger come up to you and give him that much control in your life. Family member is usually a trusted person. Somebody has a vested interest in your welfare that means you well, that, that wants to do the right thing for you. This concept arises from God's covenant relationship with Israel and points to the redemption of humanity in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, being God's son, he was his only begotten son. Human beings are created sons. Amen. But we're all children of God. We're all in the same family of God. So we're trusted. We, we can trust him. We can trust that this person wants the best for us. This person has been assigned this obligation and has been assigned by God to do this. So there's oversight there. There's accountability and responsibility. This person is trusted because they measure up in all the areas where you might be fearful of somebody's motive. This person doesn't have that kind of bad motive because they're family already. And so when that person is, is a family person, then they are obligated to come to your aid, your rescue. They are, you, you can rest because all the responsibility is just dropped in their lap. It's like, don't worry about anything. Just put that over on that person. We can't say that about a lot of people. You, you just can't say that. Who has that kind of power and that kind of ability that you could just dump your whole lot of problems in their lap and just go have a good night's sleep and know it's going to work out in the morning. Nobody but God. Amen? Nobody but God. And so when you talk about a person who fits the bill to alleviate all of your concerns, all of your fears, all of your, and not just patting you on the head and say, you know, I got this, and they don't have nothing. You know what I'm saying? But somebody who really has the power, the authority, the, the love for you, 
can be responsible, all of that. That's the kinsman redeemer. That's that person that comes to you. So that was there in, in the uh, covenant rules for the kinsman redeemer. The first one is he was obligated to redeem the land. The poor were never disinherited by God to remain poor. And that's in Leviticus 25, 25 through 28. I'm going to read that because I don't have many of these. I'm going to read that one for you so you get an understanding of God's care for us. God, does, he didn't ordain us to be poor. He didn't ordain us to work hard all our lives to, to no avail. He has ordained that we would have a life of ease because that's what he has planned. He, nobody creates somebody to make it hard for them. You don't want to make it hard for your children. In fact, most parents go overboard the other direction. You know, some of them need a little bit of a challenge. It brings the best out of them when they're capable of living up to the challenge. So in Leviticus 25, 25, it says, If your brother... Being waxed poor has sold away some of his possession. If any of his kin come to redeem it, then he shall redeem that which is his brother sold. And if that man have none to redeem it, and he himself is able to do it, then he will count the years of the sale thereof and restore that overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession." And so all God wants is for us to be able to hold on to what he gives us. And the Redeemer is able to help us hold on to it. Once he, this is somebody who got broke, sold their property, and didn't have anything anymore. And God said, that's not gone forever. Oh, well, I squandered that money on dope and everything else. I don't care. I've got somebody to redeem it back for you. It's not gone forever for you. Are you kidding me? We start all over again. Huh? That's what forgiveness is. You get a do-over, 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 do I know it'll give you a headache doing it over, but God wants you to know how much he intends. When he gives you something, it lasts forever. He never takes anything back. As a child of God, you don't get so bad you squander all of daddy's wealth. Amen. He said, I own everything. You need more money, I'll make you more money. And I'm going to teach you how to use it the right way this time. You understand what I'm saying? You don't want to be a loser all your life. And God doesn't, well, he didn't ordain you to be a loser. And so he will help you gain back what it is that you lost for whatever reason. He doesn't care what the reason is. He does not care. If your child gets crazy and goes off with the wrong person... And they wind up missing. All you want is your kid back. You ain't thinking about what they did. You know, you'll deal with that at the proper time. But right now, it's about restoring you and putting you back in your covenant rights. Even if there was nobody to redeem the land. You, in Israel, you could only keep land for 50 years. In the every 50, 49th year, the 50th year was a year of jubilee. All the slaves went free. Everybody's property came back to them. You didn't get rich off the stupidity of your kinfolk. What kind of relative would you be? Every time somebody in your family had a garage sale, you was over there buying their stuff for $10. And I'm talking about their nice furniture. You understand what I'm saying? That, that ain't right. It's not right. We don't glory in other people's misfortune, and that's why God did that. He wanted people to take care of each other, to love one another, and to help and encourage one another. In, 50, in the year of Jubilee, 
usually that person who had lost the property wasn't old enough, young enough to do anything, so the kids got it. So he did it so your kids weren't disinherited by your your misfortune or your lack of wisdom or your lack of anything. So it gave your whole family a fresh start. Just because your parents lived in poverty, you don't have to live in poverty unless you want it, you know. I see people sometimes, I try to encourage them to desire what God wants for them. I, this ain't what I want for you, but I know God has things for you, better things. He has it for all of us. You know, as a minister, I have to do that kind of stuff. What do you think I'm here for? But anyway, you know, people get offended because you encourage them to try and, and ask God for more, do more, do, you know, more, 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 more. Because you got it in you to get it. You understand what I'm saying? You're not lacking in anything. And we're not to, to let one another think less about ourselves. You're supposed to think what God thinks about you. God sees all of us as capable. You know, we may not think we are, or we may like our old ways or something like that, but we're totally capable of doing whatever it is God sets before us. You'll prosper as much as you desire. There's no limit to what God will do for you. You just have to obey his rules and, and go, go where he tells you to go and do what he tells you to do. You know, live a life pleasing to God. You understand what I'm saying? But aside from that, we're not to limit one another's potential for doing great things. Because you have a greater one living in you. You can overcome anything that comes against you. You just get with God long enough to get a decent plan and follow through with it, you know. Sometimes God will give you things to do. They'll scare you because they're different. But you step out and do them anyway. Amen. And see if he's out there with you. Huh? God, I'm getting ready to. I'm going to do it today, God. I'm telling you, I'm going to do this today. I'm doing it. And you go back and you don't do it for another day. You know, I'm doing it. But eventually you get out and do it and you find out it didn't kill you. In fact, it worked. And it blessed you. Amen. And that's the way we live with God. Everybody's capable of doing that. But he always made sure property was returned so that your children were not at a disadvantage because of your mismanagement or whatever it was. Sometimes people got tricked out of property. Who knows? So the property was to remain with that family, never to be in the hands of anybody else. You couldn't prosper off of your brother's misfortune. The kinsman redeemer was obligated to redeem that land or purchase it back from whoever had it and then either give it back or sell it back to that family member. Amen. So this was the guy who was responsible for everybody in the in that household. Your your nearest relative was responsible. So let me see. If by some, through any circumstance, a person became poor enough to sell his property to survive, his land could not be held indefinitely. So the kinsman redeemer was obligated to redeem it. That means purchase it from whoever had it and then sell it back. Number two, the kinsman redeemer was obligated to redeem the enslaved. And that's in Leviticus 25:47. Drop down a little bit. 47 through 55. Now, we can liken this to our life before we meet the Lord. We're in sin and bondage. You're enslaved to the devil. We've all been there. If you don't think you were, you were. Thank God you're saved. Amen. 
Jesus purchased you out of that. There had to be a price paid for you to get free from that. That's his blood. He shed his blood, gave his life for you. So, and that satisfied God the Father. That price was set by God. It wasn't set by the devil. And it just didn't, Jesus didn't just make it up. But that's the price of a life, is another life. And so in order for our lives to be ransomed from sin, somebody's life had to be given. It had to be somebody who was sinless and spotless, not deserving of it. Just like the lambs and the bulls and the goats that they offered as their yearly sacrifice in Israel. So in order to, re, uh, to redeem the enslaved, Leviticus 25:47 says, If a sojourner or stranger is, gets rich uh, by you and your brother that dwells by him is poor and sells himself to the stranger or the sojourner, and that, or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. And that's what we do when we share the gospel with people. When you see other people, you see somebody sick, what's the first thing you do? You usually offer to pray for them, or you let them know that God wants them well. You offer yourself into their lives. You are doing the act of the kinsman redeemer. That person is another human being who is sick. Amen. Just like you or I have been in our lives. But usually you can't do much for people. But tell them about, you know, a pill you might have took, or don't go to that doctor. You know what I'm saying in the natural. But as as a child of God who has redemption, you've been redeemed already. And God has mandated that we share that redemption with other people. So you're able to go and set people free from the bondage that used to enslave you. And that's the whole concept is to free everybody as often as we can and as many as we can. That's why people have large crusades sometimes. They want to get as many people out of sin and out of torment and out of the gates of hell as they can. And so that's why we do what we do. So as redeemed people, we have the Redeemer living in us. And he longs to redeem other people. He's got to use us to do it. Amen. So he's there to redeem the enslaved. Pay the purchase price. And we all agree that Jesus did that for us. Full price. You don't have to pay for anything. Just have to receive it by faith and accept it and walk in your freedom. Now walk in the liberty that God has given. The kinsman redeemer was obligated to provide an heir. That means that they often had to marry the one who, uh, the brother's wife that died childless. They would have to marry that one if, if they didn't have a wife. That's, that's what the rule was in Israel. You know, some of them broke it and had many wives. But that's in Deuteronomy 25, uh, 5 through 10. And in Genesis 38, 8 through 10, you see a situation where a man was actually punished. God killed him for not providing the heir for that family. And so it's very, very important to God that we keep uh, increasing, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. The kinsman redeemer came to make sure that you had children. That you kept going, that your life continued. So then the the husband that God sends or the wife that, that is sent to you, your spouse, is there as a redeemer in your life. Somebody who can bring new life into your life again and can continue God's mandate that the human race continue.
That's why homosexual marriage is an abomination to God. I mean, it's not a marriage. They can call it what they want to, but a marriage really is already defined in the Bible. And that can't be broken. Amen. It's just, there's no way you can undo God's word. Once it's, once it's written, it's written. You understand what I'm saying? And it stands forever. God's word has been challenged by everything. And it still stands. And so really the, the fact that, that somebody asked years ago, as a Christian, you know how people, worldly people want to trip you up with their questions. You know, Religious people have a lot of questions. Like, well, what about this? What about, go read the Bible yourself. You're quizzing me. Do I look like, I look like an encyclopedia to you? I'm a preacher. You know, I'm trying to find truth just like you are. Go read the Bible yourself. Ask me a bunch of questions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, don't involve me in your confusion and your delusion. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, people asked years ago when the AIDS epidemic first broke out, and, and people said, do you think that's God's judgment on, on the homosexual? And I'm thinking, if God judges you, you ain't going to live no more. Now, when you judge, he does a whole lot better than letting people get well again. That's his mercy. See, that's a warning. It's a warning. And you never know how long you'll live in that condition until the warning comes back around again with judgment. A warning, if you don't heed it, then judgment follows. But we serve a God of mercy. He warns people before he does something. He said, well, in case you didn't know, I already wrote in my word that this ain't right. I don't approve of this. The main reason is because... It breaks the first law of life that God ever gave. You won't live. Your seed won't live. You'll you'll annihilate the human race if you keep doing this. So that's why he hates it. You understand what I'm saying? It's against his word. His word's already gone out about this. He ain't changing his mind. You understand? Well, he don't have to change his mind. Holy people don't change their mind. Because everything they think and say is right. That's what holy means. Nothing wrong with him. He don't make mistakes. He knew what he was commanding when he said it. But he has freedom. He has redeemer for the homosexual. Of course, you know, they don't want us to tell them they can get free. I'm telling you, homosexual, you can be free. Amen. You know, the, the devil wants to push your words back down your throat so you never get to utter them tell the truth Hmm? you got truth in you you better spit it out Uh, because that's your your that's your connection with god is the truth that you live in the truth that you speak that's your only connection to god so just keep that lifeline going amen man can only kill your body god can kill your body and throw you in the hell so don't don't mess with him on that see put you somewhere and tells you to talk you better open your mouth Amen. So there was punishment for refusal to produce an heir or produce seed to that person that was disinherited. Amen. And so God is serious about his law. The other function of the kinsman redeemer was he was the avenger of death or the avenger of blood. Now we see that uh, off and on in the Old Testament. The scriptures for that numbers five, five through eight. I'll read that one for you. Remember Cain when he killed Abel? And he told God, he said, somebody's going to kill me. 
because God's law is written in our hearts and our consciences. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That's what it was. And remember, God said, they said he put a mark on his forehead. That was his mercy to keep people from killing him. Why? He probably killed his brother unintentionally. Just picked up something one day and hit him. You know what I'm saying? So God had a law. Later, when he gave the law to Moses, he was able to tell the circumstances where you were not, uh, your life couldn't be taken for another life. We get our, our, uh, our laws from that. This first, second, and third degree manslaughter. You know what a man killing. Murder is, is premeditated and, you know, it's life for life most places. Used to be. It's not anymore. That's why we got so many people in prison. You know what I'm saying. God's not stupid. You understand what I'm saying? He knows what he's doing. If we follow his law, you understand what I'm saying? We'd be fine. But then you get these people who never had a a relative murdered, never had uh, anybody, you know, that they know. Oh, oh, I hate the death penalty. Yeah, because you don't know anything about losing somebody like that. And what about the people that, you understand what I'm saying? And the people that would lose somebody if these people weren't caught. And anyhow, whatever. So there was the avenger of death and the, the avenger of blood. Was that relative, if, if I uh, uh, murdered Sheree, then you two girls would have to come and kill me, according to Mosaic Law. If I did it by accident, I was allowed to flee to the city of refuge. And the priesthood protected the innocent person until when that high priest died, I was able to get free and go assume my life again. But God made provision for people who did things unintentionally. You know, if you're out somewhere and you, you know, the, you're uh, chopping wood. And one of the examples was chopping wood and the axe handle flew off of the axe head flew off and hit somebody in the head and you didn't do it intentionally you ran off to the city of refuge and so God does have refuge for people who don't do things intentionally amen he has he has vindication for the innocent amen I remember when we started praying our prayers and one of the prayers we had was for prisons and prisoners and so uh, one of the the uh, confessions in there was to for people who are accused uh, wrongly to be released. And we noticed that at that time they started some different things, like the Innocence Project started at that time, which has gained a lot of traction now in helping people who are wrongfully accused and wrongly imprisoned prove their innocence. So God, if God has to wait until... He can talk to a scientist to teach them how to track DNA and examine evidence, old evidence. Who do you think preserved all that evidence all those years? Who do you think? God hears the cries of the righteous. He hears the cries of those who are falsely accused. All you got to do is live for God, straighten up your life, and continue to believe God. If you're innocent, it will be proven. He'll make sure that it's proven. Amen? So, uh, the avenger of death, that was what the, the, uh, the kinsman redeemer did. If somebody uh, was, was wrongfully killed in a family, he went and got vengeance for that thing. 
under the New Testament, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So we don't go off killing people who have hurt people. We, we let the law take care of it. And God then gets involved and he will repay. So <clears throat> that's the avenger of death. The other one was the kinsman redeemer was a trustee of all of the family possessions. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ of all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So restitution is paid because the kinsman redeemer sees to it that everything's taken care of. He manages the family uh, business and business affairs to make sure all family members have provision. They have their own land. They have housing. They have an opportunity to uh, have a normal life, to have a good life. You don't have to live a life of poverty and, and you know people looking at you funny and rejecting you and all. You have a new start because of the kinsman redeemer and what he brings into your life. Now, why do we need a kinsman redeemer? In salvation, if it were only about heaven, God would have uh, not appointed this redeemer. The kinsman redeemer does things, helps you with, with this life as well as eternal life when it comes to to Jesus. And so the Bible says God has given through Christ, he has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if if it takes obedience to God to get the things that God has ordained for you, then the kinsman redeemer helps you obey God. See, he died so that we can have life, but he actually comes back and lives in us to energize us, to motivate us, to empower us, everything you can do through Christ who strengthens you. So he does the total package. There is no excuse for not, us not living a good life, a prosperous life, a joyful life, because Jesus has taken care of everything that we need for that. There's nothing lacking in anybody. There's nothing that you can't do or nothing you're not capable of doing. Just keep living for God because he lives through you. The Bible says, you know, in, in, in normal life, if somebody has, has property or, or things to leave you, uh, when they die, you get it. Well, there are many people who wish Grandpa was still alive because Grandpa had all the recipes and had all the secrets to how to do. Man, if we could talk to him again, we have that in Christ. He lives in us and lives through us. He helps us to be able to do the things that we do. He empowers us, gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, open doors for you. There are things that God will do for you day after day after day that you can't pay for it in a million years, not in a million years. And so these are things that when the devourer comes to want to take everything that you have, you know, God is there to protect you. He really is. I can remember when, when uh, my husband passed away and, and we had some uh, investments, you know, the 401K that y'all keep going getting. We didn't get ours. He didn't let me do that. You understand? <laughs> we kept ours. And there were some really good years there that we were invested and, and there was quite a bit of money there. And when I looked at what it was and I tried to talk to God, I said, God, what do I do with this? That's a good question to ask. You got me. When you're given a large sum of money and you don't know. I was 50 in my early 50s when he passed away. There's a lot of living between there and there that if you don't do this right, you can live very broke and very poor for a long time. 
And God told me to to find somebody that we had used as an investment broker years earlier. And he got fired from the company. And my husband always wondered, did they keep, first of all, first thing uh, Aubrey wanted to know was, is my money? That's what he asked the guy. When we went in the office and then we were told he wasn't working, he said, is my money still here? Huh? Because he didn't know if he ran off with the money or what. And they never tell you. Yeah. See, they know he's no longer with the company. We've assigned you to so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah. And, you know, look at your everything's intact. So he has, I think Aubrey kind of written him off as, you know. Then when God told me to find him, I'm thinking, well, he stole. He, we don't know if he stole the money. What happened to him? <laughs> and, but God never told me to do anything different. So, of course, I obeyed God. Yeah. You've you got to obey God in fear sometimes, yeah. you know. Just get it over with. Say, well, I'm going to give it a shot anyway God said to do it. And, and I couldn't find a phone number for him. I couldn't. Just nothing. It's just like he evaporated. And so the Lord said, hire a private investigator. He said, they can find anybody. Yeah. And I called that guy that morning. By 12 o'clock, he was calling me. He said, I think I got your boy. I said, okay. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Many recessions have happened since I, when I, you know, hired him, of course. There are many people who lost everything. This was before 2008 when the, the bottom dropped out of everything. And he said, don't worry about anything. He said, I've already secured it. He said, it's out of the market. It's over. I said, I don't care where it is. If it's in poke chops, as long as they're over there with them people, it's fine. But everything that goes on, he tells me ups and downs. And I have not, I've gained money every year. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. And so God will take care of you. And see, that's the kinsman redeemer. The one who sets aside for you, already knows what you need, makes full provision for you. Don't worry about anything. You're, you're not at all. You're not over there with those people who are losing money every day. You're secure over here with me. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's what God will do for you and take total care of you. All I got to do is stop wanting to get certain things every now and get a bright idea. And I call him. I said, my uh, whenever I send him an email about transferring money for me to use, I would say more money, yeah. <laughs> more money, and that means more money coming to me. And you better start working getting me more money over here too. It's more money. So, but anyway, but God takes care of us to the last, the last degree, folks. I mean, the last degree. I, I, I wasn't mentally able to think through a lot of things for my future there was a lot of fear there and so God was able to get me to a place at least where I felt secure and I've been secure it's been 12 12 15 13 years since then still secure in everything so praise God amen God's good so the story that we're going to go to is Ruth and we don't have a lot of time to talk about her because I took most of it up talking about the kinsman redeemer. But if you'll turn to the book of Ruth chapter 1. Because I know everybody want to find out where is Boaz. Can he get here? Can we send for him right here, right now? Where he at? <laughs> he keep getting away from me. But you know the story of, of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is, is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And behind judges amen it starts out that uh, Ruth's husband and son are with her and there's a famine in Bethlehem where they're from 
And so uh, they sojourn or they travel to um, um, Moab. And there her son, she has two uh, husband, I think it was two sons, yeah, two sons, and they both meet uh, women from that region and marry them. That's forbidden by, by God for the Israelite to marry anybody other than another Israelite. But when famine comes, you've got to survive. People think survival. They don't think law of God. And so they marry these two women. The husband and both sons die while they're in Moab. And so uh, Naomi has no means of support. Ruth has no means of support. There was another uh, daughter-in-law. Her name is Orpha. They pronounce it. Oprah misspelled one of the Bible words, and that's how she got the spelling for her name. (laughs) Smart woman, right? Anyhow, well, somebody did. She didn't take her own name. But uh, anyway, uh, these two women are following Naomi, and Naomi's telling them, why are you following me? You know, Naomi's not herself because of all of the famine and the bitterness and and the hard life she's had for a number of years. She's not feeling like, you know, being gracious to anybody or trying to encourage anybody. But she knows that uh, it's probably best for them as young women to go find husbands. And, you know, why are you following me around? And this is the, the thing that we need to understand about God when he puts people in your life. Some people you cannot get rid of. You can't pay to get rid of them people. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot pay to get rid of them people. It, because they're connected with you, you know. Now, I'm going to tell a little story on Miss Nola because she, when we first started out, when we first met, we were all in this church and I wasn't in ministry yet. And when we would come to church, every time I would look up, there's Nola's little face. <laughs> Barbie, Barbie, Cheryl, she was so glad to see us, and we were we were uh, helping her to pray uh, for her marriage at the time, to reconcile with her husband. And it was like every time I look, I say, "Here that little girl is again." Then I went to the store with her. Where were you working? You were working at one of the department stores. Okay, it was before then because I went somewhere and she was behind the counter working at a store. I say, "Here she is again." I think it was before Progressive, or you might have had a part-time job or something. There you go. It was Higby's. Because I knew, I said, here she is again. Why she keep popping up? And here she is still, what, 30 years later? So there are some people that you just connected to. You understand what I'm saying? Not that I wanted to get rid of her, but I just kept wondering what, you wonder what the attraction is. You, you wonder what's going on here. I, you know, I'm just me. But anyway, we were called to, to work together for God and all that kind of stuff. So those bonds sometimes are forged very early in your relationship with people. But anyway, Naomi and and I think that was the way it was with Naomi and her daughters-in-law they really did not want to leave her because here she was from another culture she was from another uh, place and she had a kind of a dignity the Moabite people were uh, people who were born out of the incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughters and so they were known they were an inbred people inbred people have a lot of physical defects they have a lot of mental defects there's a lot of stuff there you know what I'm saying it was not God's will and so they were not a choice people and here this woman was and she and her her sons wind up there and they're choice people and they choose these two girls and so they don't want to leave they don't they want a better life they want something and so Naomi keeps shooing them away you know stay here don't go with me I don't know what you want and and so the daughter's 
the one daughter, Orpha, leaves, but uh, Ruth clings to her and she makes this vow. And I think it's beautiful because it's, it's a way to, uh, she was able to understand Hebrew culture and Hebrew language so that she was able to make a vow before God about her commitment to this woman and why she's committed to her. And let me see, where is it? Uh, in Ruth 1, chapter 16, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And so she zeroes in with Naomi on what she wants. And after that, Naomi quits arguing with her. She wants God. See, when you find that out about people, you know, then you submit to that because they want the God that you serve. And so they make it back to Bethlehem. When they come back, Naomi's angry and out of sorts, and they call her Naomi. The name Naomi is a beautiful name. It's a beautiful sounding name. And it means pleasant. And it means uh, you know, uh, affirming somebody who is gracious and understanding. And she'd been that for many years. And she said, no, the years have treated me bad. You call me Mara. My name is bitter and I'm just bitter now and don't talk to me. And so Naomi's in kind of a bad mood. But Ruth wants to obey and wants to uh, um, follow God. She, she just wants to do the right thing. So she's open to do whatever. She's humble. And this is what the kinsman redeemer looks for. He looks for humility in in the people. And so Naomi tells her, uh, you know, we have a a near kinsman, and I don't know, uh, you know, if he's going to be willing to do the duties of the near kinsman, which included, now see, Naomi has the inheritance of her husband. So she's got land coming to her. But then her two sons had a part in that inheritance, too. And so what is wise to do is find somebody who not only can redeem Naomi's portion, but Ruth's as well. And that means somebody has to marry, not Naomi, because she's too old to bear children, but this has to marry Ruth, and which is not a sure thing, because Ruth is a hoochie mama. See, for lack of a better term. A rough cut, you know, in those days they wore a lot of paint on their faces. They put chains around their ankles and they, you know, tinkled when they walked. You know, rough, real rough. And so, you know, probably with bad language and everything else, you know what I'm saying? But she had been married to Naomi's son and no doubt had received some type of, of training, grooming, You know, if she allowed it to come into her life, she was more refined than the average Moabite girl. And so those titles kind of have a connotation to them. You know, the average Hebrew man, when they they said she's a Moabite, whoa, wait a minute. No, we we don't go there. You know, whoa, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that raises a sharp eyebrow up for anybody who's going to get involved with you don't know who all you're getting involved with. It might be uh, Babra and Man Man. And, you know, you don't know who all back in, at home, and she might come bringing them up to the family reunion. You know what I'm saying. After you married, then you know everything. But, you know, they, y'all know what I'm talking about. Huh? 
the relatives that you don't invite. They all of a sudden, when you get money and you get somebody who's got money, they all show up. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So, but the the so uh, Ruth and Naomi go forward. Boaz actually has wealth of his own. We see that in in Ruth two, two verse one. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. See, that's a picture of Jesus. If if you don't think anything else but that mighty man of wealth. His father owned the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, that kind of thing. And so it's like, it's like everything that you could dream of and then so. Okay? And he says, uh, it says here, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So that was typical for poor people. If you're poor in Israel, you don't get a handout. You work for what you get. The Hebrew was not allowed to reap all of his crop. If anything fell, say, for instance, if they picked up a sheaf of wheat, if some of the kernels fell, they weren't allowed to go back and pick that up. That was sin. You didn't do that. And why? Because that belonged to the God and it was provided. It was the provision for the poor and the wayfarer. And if anybody came through your field uh, in your absence, they were allowed to pick up whatever was left off because that was reserved for the poor by the Lord. God caused that to fall off of there. Huh? You weren't just being careless. It fell off because God knew somebody poor was coming after you and they needed that. And so you would, they would go and ask if they could glean in your field. Can I come, can, can I come in here? And, you know, and yes, of course you can. You let them come in there. And they would go and pick up as much as they could carry. You didn't have any limits. You'd say, well, wait a minute. That's too much of my, no, you didn't do that. You weren't in charge of that. You just said yes, and they went in and got what they could get. And so Ruth goes in to glean. She's humble. She doesn't want to start off as the queen. See, if we would learn this, we'd learn that 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 voice that tells you, oh, you you don't want him because he ain't good enough for you. And you don't know nothing about him. Huh? Barely met him. Same thing with you men. Huh? Y'all are hanging around with a Jezebel hood rat just because she tells you you look good. And the last time you was in the mirror, you looked the same way that you did the first time you was in the mirror. You have not changed. Let me just let me rest my nerve, Miss Tony. I don't know what these people are doing to me today. Huh? Ruth went in to glean ears of corn. She gleaned in the field behind the reapers. So there were reapers getting the main sheaves of wheat, and she only took what fell to the ground. Okay, that was her portion. And she stayed in there all day. And eventually she took a break and, excuse me, met Boaz. And this is in uh, chapter 2. And it says here in verse 8, Then said Boaz to Ruth, Okay, uh, 
Did you hear not my daughter? Do not go and glean in another field and don't go from here, but stay here close to the other women here. When God brings you into his kingdom, you're assigned to a a fellowship, a church, a group of people. And you are to stay close to those people to learn from them. You got me? That's what the kinsman redeemer does. He comes to instruct you in the right way to conduct your life. So immediately he identifies himself as their redeemer and one who is willing to uh, perform the functions of the kinsman redeemer. Because he starts off by instructing her. He said, don't go from field to field. Ho hopping. You understand what I'm saying? Don't go looking like where you came from. You're in a new place now. You're born again now. You're spirit filled now. You act like a, you get some length on your skirts. You don't come to church and have to tug your skirt down over your knees. Shouldn't be up over your knees to begin with. Amen. A Christian length is below your calf because that's, that's the part men like to look at. In case you didn't know. Y'all know that. Don't play me, okay? So modest apparel. Humility, that'll get you Boaz. Now you do anything from, uh, down from that, that's gonna get you something else. So I'm just trying to tell y'all how to get what you want. Yeah. And if he magic Mike XXL, so much the better. Hey, whatever. For your eyes only. Anyway. <laughs> So Boaz knows the whole score before she even talks to him. Before he meets her, he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly how he's going to do it. And he lets her know that. He says in this, in verse 11, Boaz answered and said unto her, It has been fully shown me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since her son's death, her husband's death, and how you have left your father and your mother and your land. In other words, I know you're committed to this God. He says, it's already been shown me. When you meet the person that God wants for you, nothing's a surprise about you to that person. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care. You can tell them the worst thing you think you know about yourself. They say, it's already been shown to me by God who you are to me. You understand what I'm saying? I know your character. I know you're a good person. I know you're worthy of my time. And so he says, he says, the Lord recompense thy work and full reward be given you of the Lord of Israel under whose wings you have come to trust. So he's directing her all the time back to God. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not in this in your life for anything personal, and I'm not going to separate you from God. I'm not going to separate you to your commitment from your work and your ministry. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. Don't worry, but let that be the standard by which you measure the right person. If they come in trying to separate you from God, telling you things about you, you know, you mean you go to hang out with y'all and just keep, keep it moving. You understand what I'm saying? But if they're totally sold on you staying with God and what you're called to do, then you're good. So then uh, Boaz uh, was able then to uh, uh, give Ruth more room to glean. He invites her to dinner, but not with himself. It ain't personal just yet. You understand what I'm saying? He invites her to eat with the other servants, and he tells her to just stay close to them and, and you know, dine with them. You know, gives, make sure she's taken care of all of the things that a kinsman redeemer would want to do. 
The other thing he's doing, he's checking out the table manners. You understand what I'm saying? Is she hogging everything up and bogarting all the food and <laughs> bogarting all the ketchup packets and sticking them in her shoes? And <laughs> take a break and go steal some more ketchup packets. You know, it's. <laughs> Thank you. It was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> In verse 12, you see him blessing her work. Amen. He wants to bless her. That comes first. Somebody that, that loves you and, and you're intended to marry, they have your best interest at heart. Amen. Amen. The fact that he invites her to dine with the servants means he's still checking her out. He's heard and he thinks he knows this is the right woman for, for him, but he's still checking her out, keeping her at a distance a little bit. Until, you know, everything comes right. So in, in chapter 3, we no, in, in verse 16, though, we see him doing something. He says, uh, verse 15, when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Okay, the stuff she's not supposed to have. And don't, don't reproach her. Just let it. So she gets a pay raise first time she meets him. See, the first time you meet the Lord, you were given a pay raise, whether you know it or not. You were the door for more opportunities were open to you. Your money was blessed, which meant it went a lot further than it used to go before you met the Lord. All of that stuff happened to you just because he has accepted you as his very own. And so here we see verse, I'm sorry, in chapter three, let me slow down for a little bit. She talks to Naomi. She asks him where, where she's been, and Naomi notices how much grain she's uh, gleaned just from one day. And so she begins to talk to Ruth about the proper way she should conduct herself in courtship with Boaz. And you see that situation where Boaz was uh, in, verse, in 3 verse 2. Um, she says, is now is not Boaz our kindred and whose maidens you uh, were? He, she said, behold, he's working the night shift. Huh? He's at the winnowing floor tonight. So your man works. Amen. If he got to do third shift, he working, taking care of business. OK. I missed my real big point right there. <laughs> I was supposed to get happy about it. The brother working the night shift, yeah. doing hard labor, yeah, that's right. which the other servants would be doing. But he's there to make sure he's successful. Yeah. He don't care what he's got to do to be a success. He is willing to get out there and do it. You understand me? Well, some of y'all happy about it. I guess I'll keep moving with this one. Is, is my time up? Y'all to call time on me or what? Let me take my glasses off. No. <laughs> Look y'all in the eyeball over here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but Boaz is working. And so there, there was a, a way to approach the kinsman redeemer. You don't approach them like you do a total stranger. Because there's an obligation here, 
and they want to make sure that the obligation is met. And so Naomi tells Ruth to do something that seems strange to us, and that is to go into where he is sleeping when he retires for the night and uncover his feet. Uncovering his feet means that she is willing to accept him as her husband because the next step for him is to do what? Exchange his shoe for their property. So she's saying, will you do this for me by uncovering his feet and prepping him for the next step? That's why when she goes and tells Naomi about it, she says, oh, she said he got up that morning and said that he was willing to do his duty as a near kinsman. But there's somebody else that's got a higher claim on it. Amen. And so Naomi said, she said, don't you worry. Now you've gone this far. She said he won't stop until he's got permission to marry you. Amen. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Boaz got up early that morning, went to the gate of the city and talked to the man who had a greater claim. And the man said, gee, I was just interested in the old lady's property. I don't want the young girl. <laughs> he said, I might mess my money up messing around with her. Huh? That's what he said. It's King James, okay? y'all. It's the NGV, New Ghetto Version, okay? So let's, let's roll with it, okay? Let's keep working with it the best you can. <laughs> y'all ain't no good. <laughs> this really is a long story. Every time I preach, Ruth, it gets longer. I don't do it that often, but when I do, it's because I feel led of God to do it. But anyway, so he goes, and the gate of the city was like the city hall or the courthouse where you took care of legal affairs and legal business. He squares it away with this other man who has a claim. He forfeits his claim on Naomi's property. Her, her, uh, the other son's property because he's without an heir, so that immediately shifts over to his mother or to his sister to, to, to Ruth to split. We're not sure. But the kinsman redeemer keeps up with all that. See, he knows what's fair and he knows what they need to do. So the family property gets back and they have their own inheritance. Don't ever feel like a bum looking for some rich man to take care of you because that ain't who you are. You understand what I say? You have a full inheritance in God of your own. You know, people say, "I want my Boaz." Why? You already got an inheritance. If you're looking for him to increase your life, then you're looking for the right reason. But come on now, you ain't just want to jump in some dude's pocket all of a sudden. You know, they don't roll like that. I can tell you, when you're married to them, they don't let you jump all in their pocket. You got to dance at least a couple of ten years. Ten-year terms. <laughs> you got a couple ten-year sentences to do before you can jump deep in somebody's. Well, I'm gonna stop. Okay, we won't go there. All right. So the nearest one was probably married already, and that's why he could refuse, and it was legal for him to refuse. And so then Boab was able to marry Ruth. Naomi came to uh, in verse in chapter four. It says. Boaz went up to the gate, sat him down there, and behold, a kinsman who Boaz spake came by, and he said, you know, turn aside, and he did, and he told him that he wasn't going to cash in on it. Verse 5, then said Boaz, what day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, you must also buy what Ruth has. So he knows the law. He's responsible. 
So verse 9, Boaz said to the elders and to the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was his son's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So this was really to honor her dead husband that he was able to do this and so everything's accounted for everything's brought back into the family everything's done in a dignified manner because of the kinsman redeemer and it says and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said we are witnesses and they began to bless them that was typical in a marriage you didn't have an ex-girlfriend sitting up there whispering about you know that they don't play that kind of stuff we talking about godly people and god God type of people and how we do things and they blessed her and in verse 13 it says so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and when he went unto her, in unto her the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son and the women said to Naomi blessed be the Lord which has not left you this day without a kinsman that in your name may that may your name that his name may be famous in Israel and he shall be unto thee a restorer of your life that's what the kinsman does he restores your life and a nourisher in your old age from your youth to your old age the kinsman redeemer is a nourisher he says for your daughter-in-law which love you which is better than seven sons has borne him Naomi took the child laid it in her bosom and became a nurse to it and the women her neighbors gave it a name saying there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed he is the father of Jesse he is the father of David and David is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ amen amen praise God we got through it amen So Boaz is more than a paycheck and a Magic Mike XXL. You got me? Much more, much more. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for allowing you to instruct us and tell us what you want us to know. We bless you, Lord. Thank you for blessing your people to be here today, to sit under your word, to hear your word, to be blessed by your word. We honor you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Okay? Praise God.